Welcome to Small Things Make a Big Difference. My name is Spencer Holt. I'm a father of four, a married amazing wife. I have lived in Canada, the USA, and in England. I speak all three Englishes fluently. I currently work at AstraZeneca in the pharmaceutical industry where I'm head of our global commercial learning and I'm passionate about how do we as leaders be more intentional in who we're trying to become and help bring out the best in others. This is a series of interviews of leaders all over the world. So join us, share it with others, and let's focus on the small things that make a big difference. Okay, we're gonna to start today with the question. Take a look at your phone. What version of your phone? Is it the 12.0, the Max Plus Plus? Does it have four cameras on the back? Because originally one or two or three wasn't good enough. If we think about society and the evolution and the change that technology brings, it requires changes in both equipment, but more importantly, changes in you. In fact, here's a little quick quick history session for you. Um, the word leader didn't enter the English language until around the year 1300. And then really the method, like real serious leadership studies didn't begin for another 600 years until the 1930s. And it's only been for the last 75 years that leadership has started to really be defined and studied. But in fact, it still has, if you ask people today, hundreds and millions of different definitions. I'm excited about today's episode because Mark Howells, Vice President at AstraZeneca over talent development, talks about a study he's done with Corn Ferry called Leadership 5.0. And what I want you to think about as you listen to this, what is it that you are learning? What is it that you need to unlearn in order to be an effective leader in today's environment with all the changes that have taken place? Super excited to hear what you take away from this and where you believe your next dot O needs to take you. This week on Small Things Make a Big Difference, I am looking forward to this episode a while because we had a conversation, Mark, about maybe a month ago around this Corn Ferry study of Leadership 5.0. And, and so it was almost like, you know, like in the US, you have Thanksgiving and you're like, oh, it's amazing. That was our initial discussion was like Thanksgiving to me. And then now this is like Christmas where we actually get to record this and talk about this really cool study. But before we do that, Mark, welcome to the show and um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Spence. And uh, likewise, not sure I'm, uh, how I feel about being the Christmas turkey, but we'll, we'll figure that one out as we go through this. But it's a um, pleasure to be here with you and uh, always enjoy our conversations. In terms of a bit about me, I've been with AstraZeneca 17 years now. I have been um, leading different parts of HR uh, over the last 10 years, um, both in commercial, in operations, and our neighboring functions. But over the last two and a half years, I've been leading our uh, center of excellence around talent and development, which encompasses all things associated with uh, the succession planning within AstraZeneca, the development of our early talent programs, 
leadership and management development, as well as our learning environment associated with that. So very pleased to be here and uh, looking forward to today's conversation. But also, Mark, you've lived in a couple cool places around the world. So I, I want to give people the context of where you've lived, because I think that adds to the depth and wisdom that you're going to share here. So give us a quick, like, where's Waldo? Like, where have you been in the world and where have you hung out? So I, I think I've been blessed in the time I've spent with AstraZeneca and I've had the opportunity to uh, live and work in the UK, in Australia. So I ran a supply and manufacturing facility in Sydney for three years and then led and managed um, operations, again, supply and manufacturing in China. So I lived in, in Suzhou in China for two years came back to the UK for another three years in an HR leadership role. Then I came over to the US and spent two years in Wilmington in Delaware. Uh, had a great time working with the, uh, the commercial organization and the fantastic business there in the US. And then I moved back to the UK again um, two and a half years ago. So now I'm based just outside of Cambridge and uh, really enjoying being part of this sort of historic city and all its seats of learning and everything else that comes with it. So uh, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, it's, and the, thank you for sharing that. And I think that, you know, you've worked in very different countries, culturally very different. And I think that adds to the level of depth that you can speak from is to say, you know what? It, and so before we jump into the study, this is, if you had to describe one, is there a theme that you would say, yes, I've lived all over there and worked all over the world, but here's one thing that is the same, regardless of where you live. It's a question I've been asked a few times over the years. And I would say the one thing that I found that is core and common, regardless of the cultural difference is that people want to feel valued. They want to feel inspired. They want to feel a sense of connection and they want to do something that is purpose-led. And outside of that, there are different cultural nuances that play in and that you have to be mindful of. You know, somewhere like China, the traditions go back thousands of years. And as modern as China feels when you live there, the traditions are steeped in the social fabric of the, of, you know, the country and the organizations that you work within. And you still have to engage with those, but they work in parallel with those drivers and motivators that I've described. And that's what I mean. Wherever you go, people are people. Mm -hmm. They still want to feel like somebody cares about them, that their, their voices matter, that they're being invested in, and that they are doing something that's adding value and has purpose, and that they can go home and feel like, I made a difference. And if you start from that premise... I find generally you can get a connection with people and then start to explore the cultural differences. And one of the things I found really fascinating is the curiosity of really understanding the differences in cultures. You know, many people assume that Australia, US, UK, there's a lot of similarities culturally. But in some ways, they're very, very different. And in other ways, they're very, very similar you have to know where the differences are and the similarities. Otherwise you can fall into 
you know, a false sense of appreciation of what really people are looking for and how people hear and interpret different things. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm genuinely passionate about understanding different cultures. Uh, I think the richness, the diversity that it brings is what makes a global organization like AstraZeneca you know, as innovative and creative as it is, is because we have these different perspectives and you know, our patients are diverse and are in a hundred different countries. So we need to embrace that cultural difference and leverage it internally to improve the strength and efficiency as well as the creativity we bring to the solutions. I think you've probably just given a recipe to like solve the world problems. You know, you know, in like literally, I love how you've articulated this. Here's what's same about people, but then when you're in a different culture, be curious and recognize that that doesn't, you know, don't be like it just because you're curious and you're going to embrace someone else's culture. That doesn't mean you're changing. It means you're being understanding and you're recognizing there are thousands of years of traditions that you should be aware of. I thank you. That was articulated so well. And, you know, if you're writing a dissertation on this, um, you know, check out Mark House. He'll, he'll be happy to uh, give you more. So, Thanks for the flex, Vince. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, Mark. So tell us a little bit. There's there's a study that's just come out um, that was Corn Ferry, and it's a really cool that it's called the new work of leadership, future proof, future proofing leadership and the organizations they lead. Um, it's kind of like called Leadership 5.0. Give us a little background about this study and maybe how you were involved. So I came across this piece of work. Um, to a colleague in Corn Ferry called Shane Kragen. And um, Shane used to be involved with a small boutique uh, leadership development uh, organization in San Francisco that was then acquired by Corn Ferry. And Corn Ferry then started engaging with um, Harvard Business School in exploring what was the new work of leadership as you look out into, you know, what do organizations require in order to be successful in this new environment that we find ourselves, the fourth industrial revolution as we are starting to you know, accelerate into that. And this is pre-pandemic. Comferry have a global advisory council of 150 leaders from all different industry sectors, public, private, and all geographies. And through a process of engagement with that Global Advisory Council, of which I'm a member, we started to explore how these themes would play out in different organizations and looking for proof points that would help you know, refine the, the proposition and the offering. And this is now being produced and developed into a paper and ultimately a book that will be published by Harvard Business School uh, in conjunction with Corn Ferry. And when I first encountered this, the, what was being proposed just really connected with me. When I think about you know, the challenges of the disruption that digital has caused every facet of work, the shaping and the, the way that the future of work itself is shaping up because of digital, but also because of global connectedness, how people are engaging with automation, you know, it's not about replacement, it's that augmentation of people and technology working together. But also when you start to think about 
the pace of change now is more rapid than it's ever been before. And you know, we've seen this through the pandemic is people are looking for you know, not just authentic leadership, but they're looking for leadership with empathy. They're looking for leadership that is purpose-led and they're looking for you know, a sense of inspiration that isn't just about logically connecting with a, an activity or a goal or a vision. They're looking to be connected by heart in terms of what does it mean for them? How do they feel they're making a difference? And how is that inspiring them to give their best self to that goal or in service of delivering that vision? And the more that we explored this, um, the themes really started to sort of you know, amplify for me. And one specific example that you know, when I take a step back and I look at where you know, our organization as AstraZeneca has been since the beginning of 2020, we're a leading global biopharmaceutical organization that is focused on three therapeutic areas around oncology, respiratory, cardiovascular metabolism, and they're our primary areas. We have a small vaccine business uh, supporting flu mist. As a response to the pandemic, the organization has connected with the Oxford Jenner Institute, with different governments, with the World Health Organization, with the Bill and Melinda Gates Organization, and organizations across the world to step in and support delivering a healthcare solution to a pandemic and being part of the solution. Now, as I said before, you, the fact that the organization is already working in a purpose-led space, patient centricity is core to everything we do. Science is the basis of everything we focus on within the organization and those drive our decisions. But to pivot into a space that isn't normally our area of playing and to collaborate with so many different organizations in a new alliance network in that way, you know, that was a completely new area for us to get into as an organization. We have alliances and have a strong reputation of it. And I think that's on the basis of great work that's been done over recent years. But this was, again, this was different. This was a different context. So you have the, an organization that's already purpose-led. You then have, how do you orchestrate and manage an ecosystem that is now made up of different alliances working together with a common goal and common purpose? You have the piece around hearts. And I think in this was the organization felt passionately about this was the right thing to do to step into this slightly unknown space to support a global healthcare crisis and leverage you know, the skills, the expertise and the networks we have as an organization to provide support in seeking a solution. And you know, with that, people like the Oxford Jenner Institute and the great work they've done in developing the vaccine is how AstraZeneca can work with them in really leveraging that so that we can support bringing that to the world as a solution alongside with all the great work that all the other pharma companies that have got involved are doing as well. Because you know, the company has always said, there's always gonna be a need for multiple vaccines to address a pandemic of this scale. And probably five or six is the number that's been often quoted. If you then think of inclusive, yeah, then there's the piece about how do you then ensure that you're doing that 
and providing support to not just the wealthier countries, but you're providing support to those that are less able and you are economically less stable in some of the bigger countries. So there's that piece about creating inclusivity by doing it at cost. And so you've just articulated what's amazing about, about that is A, this is a study worth noting, like the rigor behind this, you're like, you've got some big players, Corn Ferry, Harvard, you're on the board, that alone should like be like, hey, you need to read this. But they've done these seven things. You've just talked about the first four. Purpose is one of the, the new rules and, and alignment. Ecosystems and the ecosystem for AstraZeneca changed overnight in one day. I love this thing about hearts. And then you talked about inclusivity. Now, those are the first four that are in this new, almost like leadership 5.0. In, in the, and we'll get to the other ones in just a second, out of purpose, ecosystem, hearts, and inclusivity, is there one that resonates most with you or that you've seen an example of that you're like, oh my gosh, the company, AstraZeneca has really over-delivered in this? I, I think the one that, the, the purpose one is one that is already core to our organization. And that has always been a North Star for us. I, I think the one that has really been different in this particular instance, because it's more concentrated, it's more exaggerated, it's more complex than ever before, is the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the intensity, the pace, the, the vast network of different organizations that are collaborating and innovating at pace and with you know, a, a critical objective clearly in focus for everybody. And these are complex you know, manufacturing processes, complex regulatory processes, multi-geographical sort of environments that working in, and all of it against the backdrop of you know, people are still suffering from COVID at huge numbers across the world. And I think that's the piece that for me, of those four, is the one that has really been dialed up to a different level. The hearts and inclusivity, again, are core to the values of AstraZeneca. So I see those as something that we were already doing. We've just dialed them up another level. It, it's, and your comment at the very beginning of this around like working in so many different countries and you're like, how important the principles that you related almost feel like those are foundational to being able to work in a complex ecosystem, to be able to, to break down silos. Cause I'm like, you know, that would have been unheard of a couple years ago. Like I'm not sharing my data or we're not doing this. Or what if we let them see this? Like I, I, I'm seeing this play out. Like that must've been interesting to watch and see. It is. And I think, there's been great examples over recent years of where you, as an organization, we've done that. We've pivoted away from saying, we need to own all of the expertise end to end in either our R&D activities, our manufacturing, our sales and commercialization, um, even into the enabling functions. And it's recognizing where is your core expertise and where do you have the differential in terms of competitive advantage or the real value add factor? 
And where are there others within your ecosystem that have complementary skill sets that can work with you and bring other types of expertise? And you may not need all of them all of the time, but it's how you build agility in your organization and be effective partners and collaborators to work with other organizations in an agile way while still being mindful of you know, the compliance environment that we work in. But it's about being a great partner and a partner of choice that means that you can plug and play with different players mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis for different solutions, different needs. It creates agility in the organization whilst growing deep expertise where you need it. I, you've just said something that caused me to think, are you a partner of choice? Like as an organization, are, you know, are we a partner of choice? As an individual, are you a partner of choice? I love that concept and feeling. And so before we get to the last three elements of this, this, this 5.0 study, in yeah. your mind, what makes a great partner of choice? Like, how do I do that? How do I be that as an individual? And then what does that look like as an organization? Well, I think it's it starts with you know, finding common purpose, common values. I think it's it's being an honest broker. So it's it's being upfront about you know what are the ground rules of the ways of working and being respectful of the difference, but also recognizing what are the red threads for both partners in that relationship that means that you understand where the give and take needs to happen in the ways of working, but having clarity in the roles and the expertise that you bring to that partnership and alignment in the values and purpose means that ultimately you're approaching it with positive intent. You're working towards solutions and you have an outcome in mind that is a shared purpose for both parties. And at an organizational level, what does that look like? And you know, if you take the the, the the vaccine situation that we're in now, you know, there's very clearly an alignment in purpose and values around delivering the vaccine at cost is something that the Oxford group felt very strong about and AstraZeneca felt very strong about and therefore that works and there's a shared purpose in doing that. There's a shared purpose in that partnership about delivering the, the vaccines to, you know, lower um, income countries and making sure there's equal distribution um, across the world because you know, as they keep saying unless we solve all of it it'll just keep resurging itself across the the planet so again these are great examples of where that purpose and values drives alignment it drives alignment in partnership and it it it, it means that you know there's always going to be flex mm-hmm. and agility but there's an honest relationship that will make it sustainable and productive. It, it's such a great, it's such a great example. And it was interesting as I was looking at some of this, um, some of the, the readout that you've, you've shared with me, one of the things it talks about is, you know, hearts. And you talked a little bit around how, you know, heart capturing people's hearts. And one of the lines says, engagement is old school. And I love that line because I'm like, if you're still talking about engagement, you're 1980s late. Like, (laughs) let's get out of that. But it says, you know, we need inspired employees is actually the new new target. And when you talk about like, we're doing this at cost and we're supplying this for the world and we're trying to do something that, you know, um, 
tugs at people's core. Like for me, I'm like, that is capturing hearts and minds why you get discretionary efforts. And um, any, so any thoughts on that as you've seen that play out? Yeah, I think you know, some of our colleagues, the, the, the work they've been putting in over the last 12 months in support of building this network, doing everything they can to supply you know, the vaccine, people have literally been working 24 seven relentlessly to, to deliver this. That doesn't happen by creating just engagement in people. That is people that are truly inspired, deeply passionate, um, purposeful in terms of what they're doing, but are also, you know, all of us have friends, relatives that are patients of the therapy areas that we try and support with the innovative science. Likewise, COVID is affecting everybody. And I know for so many people, you, they have an image of a relative, a family member, a friend in mind that is driving them to do all the things they're doing. And despite that, that sort of relentlessness of, of trying to continue to pursue getting to the right outcome and, and continue to service um, the vaccine, you, it goes so much beyond uh, engagement. It's, it's about deep passion, pride, commitment, um, and the, uh, individuals are just inspired. And I think what comes from that is, it's a bit like watching a pebble drop in a pond that ripple effect has an inspirational effect and a sense of pride on everybody around them. And that creates a sort of 10x factor of pride in the organization that then wills everybody else on to do their best they can in, in whatever role they're fulfilling. It could be quite removed from the vaccine. It could be on something completely different, but at least they're doing everything they can to make their difference in either supporting the people that are on the front line or making sure that the rest of the organization's goals and purpose is still being delivered. Uh, it's, it's so insightful. And I'm, I'm literally going to try to like take away the word engagement and just focus on inspiring the other, the other words and hearts. It's, it talks about how do you unleash exponential energy among employees and ecosystems that like for me, I'm like, now that I want to get behind. And it's, you know, so as you think about for people that are listening in terms of your ability to lead teams, like that's the new currency, right? Is are we unleashing exponential energy within our people? But to what you've just articulated earlier, the ecosystems, it's not just now about my company, it's about the number of ecosystems or partners that I'm playing with. And that is why I think that's included in the leadership formula today. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a quote that Ken Blanchard used years and years ago, and it was, none of us are as smart as all of us. And if you can unleash that potential within your team, within your organization, and you're truly unleashing the potential of everyone, the exponential effect on that, on creativity, productivity, innovation, collaboration, culture, you, you'd be hard tasked to, to measure the impact of that because it will go far beyond any single individual's in imagination or aspiration because it takes on an energy of its own 
and also unveils different elements of creativity and innovation that you know, start to pop up across the organization as byproducts of that original inspiration. So you, you start a movement then that is unstoppable. I love that. One of our guests previously was Liz Wiseman that talks in you know, her book was around multipliers and is exactly what you've just described. Um, okay, Mark. So our last three areas in this 5.0 study were hyper-innovation, non-linear and Aspire 10X. It quickly give us a little bit, give us a little context of what those three areas mean and why they made it into the list. Yes, yeah, so it, when you think of hyper-innovation, again, it's, you, if you look at the speed that innovation is happening today, um, the speed that information can be communicated to you know, a global audience compared to a few years ago, um, how quickly a ripple effect can happen. But if you also think of hyper-innovation is when you throw in the rule book out of how things were done previously, and again, you know, the vaccine is a great example of that. You know, most people would have assumed four or five years you know, was the norm in terms of vaccine development. But when you look at the speed, there's so many of the organizations that have stepped in to support vaccine creation, AstraZeneca included, is vaccines have been developed in the speed of months. You know, compared to traditional vaccine development, that is hyper-innovation happening immediately with the amount of you know, real world evidence that we're now seeing with so many people being vaccinated this will lead to further innovation of you know what do the next iterations need to look like but it's how do we take that and apply that kind of hyper innovation thinking into all sorts of different environments how do we use that as a catalyst and say what if so rather than take a traditional approach to innovation is, you, how do you start with what could be an incredible outcome in a very differentiated speed or environment of delivery? And how do you work back from there to unveil some creative thinking and innovation that could get you there in a tenth of the time as opposed to you know 10% less than the time? It, it, I love that example. Well, because one of the phrases in hyper-innovation, it says, blowing up historical industry constraints is innovation frontier. And to, to your point, so when you start with the end in mind and then work back, you're, you're leaving behind what you used to do, which allows you, I think, to kind of blow those up and say, we're trying something different that could help you be more agile, more different, which is such a great principle. And, it, and you're constantly reiterating as you go because it, that hyper-innovation is about you know, not just continuous improvement, it's about significant step change in a much shorter space of time, but with a completely different mindset to it. So it's bringing that to life. I love it. Oh, I, it's funny because I'm a big believer, like the podcast, small things make a big difference, but also sometimes big things make a big difference. And it's, you know, and that's the, the beauty of innovation. You sometimes have the small iterative, but then yeah. to your point, sometimes you need to make those big jumps as well. Absolutely. So tell me about non-linear. So non-linear is really about embracing you know, the concept of lean and agile um, and design thinking is how do you let go of 
the traditional approaches that may have worked in the past. So it's a bit like the concept of learning and unlearning. It's how do you learn to unlearn what you've learned previously and embrace a new way of working and thinking differently about how you approach it. So things like minimum viable product, minimum viable change, design thinking, these are all things that are you know, an approach to a non-linear approach to development of a concept, an idea or innovation and something that you've not done previously. And again, it can bring out interesting insights, completely different outcomes, but it is about retraining your mind in terms of how you approach it, an opportunity or a problem and solving it in a very different way to previously. Well, and I think this is why I like the term, you know, sometimes I'm always like, oh, iPhone 10.0 or 12.0, but this is literally why this is 5.0 leadership. Like to your point, we traditionally haven't thought that way. And, you know, I love what you just said for very successful leaders today, you sometimes are going to have to forget or unlearn what's made you successful and literally like change and human behavior is hard to change. And I, so I love this concept of non-linear. And although I think no one wants to think of our, like, I don't want to think of myself as linear, but there are some things that I do in a linear fashion and I really need to challenge myself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am so inspired by this discussion because I was, as I was listening to you and I was reading these things, I was trying to think, well, what's one of these areas that I can get better at? And literally, as I'm looking at this and listening to you, I'm like, I need to get better at all of them. And I know, you know, you sometimes you don't want to get overwhelmed, but there's something that resonates to me at each one of these where I'm like, no, I can step change in this. And, uh, and so I, first of all, Mark, I want to say thank you for your insights here. It's been incredibly inspiring. Pleasure, Spencer. Always a pleasure. Well, we're not done yet. I have two last questions, my friend. Don't think you're <laughs> off the hook. Okay. Now, in the UK, you've been in lockdown and you get a chance to do your first kind of holiday away from home. And so as you're walking down the streets of Cornwall or on a beach, if you've got a song that you're listening to that's going to inspire you, um, do you have one that I can put on my small things make a big difference playlist? Um, Coldplay, Adventure of a Lifetime. Oh, that's, I'm a big Coldplay fan, Adventure of a Lifetime. It's going on the playlist, Mark. I'm going to make sure that you get a copy of it. Um, and then a friend of mine, yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine once said to me, um, he had this great concept, and I, I really tried to embrace it, was he said, if your life was a book, on your last day of your life, would it be a book that you'd want to read? So the adventure of a lifetime has always been something as a, that resonated with me. And again, it comes back to you. Are you writing new interesting chapters as you look at the path of your life and you know, keep looking for those moments and those memories that will make it an interesting book when, you know, we finally shuffle off the, the mortal coil, but leave an interesting read behind. Oh, look at the meaning behind that song, Mark. I like that. Oh my, okay. I, the last question, this is going to be great. The name of the podcast, Small Things Make a Big Difference. What is one small leadership habit that you do on a consistent basis that's made a big difference in your life and in the people that you interact with? Uh the one thing that I try and consistently do is I always carve out time 
to coach and mentor others earlier in their career. And it's a little bit of a pay it forward value for me of helping others sort of navigate their way through based on the experiences that I've had and the benefit that I've had of others coaching and mentoring as I've embarked on different you know, adventures in my own life. So for me, it's, it's that coaching and investing in others is an important factor for me as a leader, not just in the teams that I lead, but in, in others in the wider organization or even externally to the organization. It's share a little bit of your experience and help others get there a little bit quicker with you know, a little bit more insight and the benefit of others. Well, you've definitely done that today, uh, not just with me, but with all our listeners out there. Mark, you've been amazing. Thank you for hanging out with us today. My pleasure. I'm still not sure about the Christmas turkey feeling, but I'll go with it. Listen, we'll come, we'll come back to that, okay? I think, I've, I, I think today I've, it was Christmas turkey and a Where's Waldo reference. So I, uh, I got to get more British. Absolutely. hope you've enjoyed this week's session of small things make a big difference if you did please send it to somebody that you think would really enjoy it quick review of the great insights of mark house really kind of talking about a study that's coming out leadership 5.0 discovering the new rules of leadership and i'll just remind you of the again the power of purpose which i'm a big fan of this one is so cool ecosystems and Let's be honest, each of us are in multiple ecosystems and how do we become a partner of choice? I love this thing around hearts and let's stop using the word engagement and really thinking about inspiring and capturing hearts and spirits. Of course, inclusivity, hyper-innovation, non-linear and aspiring 10X. You will decide which one you wanna double down on. For me, for sure hearts and ecosystems, I'm taken away and saying, what am I gonna do a little bit better to think about the ecosystems that I'm in as a leader, but also helping people on my teams recognize the ecosystems they're in and what role they can play to be a better partner of choice and to utilize that to get things done. And of course, hearts. How do we help inspire employees? How do we capture their hearts and spirits? And how do we unleash exponential energy in the people that are around us? I hope that you will think about the small things that will make a big difference and discover your 5.0 and the new rules of leadership that you will apply in your life.